How do we live out the truth of the gospel and persevere in faith? Hello and welcome back to the God's Story podcast. We're up to episode 41. I'm Brent Siddle and I'm joined once again by the Reverend Ian Reid, Rido of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston North, New Zealand. Rido, we're sitting on this here in this beautiful sunny day in Palmerston North and you're looking suitably refreshed after your holidays? Definitely, yes. It's good to get away. Good on you. Today we're looking at Hebrews chapter 12 and uh, verses 14 to 29. And I'm going to start off by reading verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 12. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, how does this section of the letter to the Hebrews continue on from where we left off? Yeah, so this is the kind of the kind of pass through the aside that, that we, we looked at last time uh, and where before we were looking at faith and particularly what that was striving towards uh, and what was the big point there is that faith uh, is leading towards holiness that ultimately that, that's what God wants for us we did see that in a little bit in that aside where it talks about our discipline where what does God want for us through discipline through hardship it's our holiness and we're coming back to that holiness again what does verse 14 actually tell us? Well, it, it seems quite simple, doesn't it? You know, strive for peace with everyone. You know, li- live out a peaceful life uh, with, with everyone around you. But in the NIV, you've got this, uh, and be holy. You know, it's kind of like, oh, that sounds so easy, doesn't it? The ESV says, you know, kind of strive for holiness is what it's, what it's trying to say. It sounds like an easy thing to do, doesn't it? Just, just go and be holy. I think it sounds very difficult, not only to be holy, but to live at peace with anybody. <laughs> well... Well, that's, maybe that's just me. <laughs> I didn't want to say that, Brent. But <laughs> I, I, I was going to try and you know kind of gently say that to you, but I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that out loud <laughs> to your face, at least. Um, but this idea that you kind of just be holy, you know, it sounds, sounds so easy, doesn't it? But I, I think it's it's kind of as a marker here to say this is what God's goal for your life is. It's not saying, hey. You know, go and be perfect. You're a perfect person now. Now that you've um, come and know, come to know Jesus, it's that this is what God's goal for your life is. How do we actually live in peace with all people and be holy? Usually, they don't go together, do they? <laughs> Usually, it's if I go sit at home by myself, there's probably a, a higher chance of me living at peace with people and me being holy. But, but it's one of those weird things, isn't it? Particularly in church communities where um, that we that we look at and, we, and you think, oh, why is there conflict in that church? Or why is there sin in that church? It's it, it's actually though God's way of bringing holiness and peace is making us live with other people, making us get along with other people, and forcing us in a sense to to change and to to hear and recognise that other people might have a different point of view to us. Is it uh, is it uh, possible sometimes uh, not to live at peace with some people? Well, it says strive for peace. The NIV kind of says make every effort. You know, oh, I like that know. one better. That's good. I can do that. It's kind I of can make every effort. A little bit, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the bar's set very low. I made an effort. Oh, okay. Well, uh, yeah, but Rita, come on. You've got to admit that even even you, peaceable, gentle character that you are, that there are some sometimes in life where people ju- are just very difficult. And how how do we? This is actually actually this is terrific because uh, a listener emailed me. And, and said this very thing. He wants us to make a podcast on how to deal with difficult people. So how do we live peaceably, according to the, the scripture, with people who are just being 
abstractive and difficult. You want my advice on that? Avoid them. (laughs) (laughs) No, it it is difficult. And I think, you know, the bar is set reasonably high, though, in terms of making your effort or strive. But it's not saying that it's going to be kind of possible in every single situation, though, is it? You know, kind of, it's make every effort. There are some people who are difficult, and you need to recognise that at different points in time and be realistic about it. What makes people difficult, do you think? I mean, thinking of churches, uh, before we get into the, into the rest of the world, what, what makes people difficult in churches, do you think? Well, they're not me. That's usually the problem. <laughs> That's usually the problem. <laughs> I think, you know, and we need to point the finger as much at ourselves as other people here, uh, that we hold things too dearly that shouldn't be held too dearly is, my, is usually my, my issue with other people, is that... There are things that are not important, things that are outside of the gospel in particular and outside that kind of fellowship that we can have around the gospel that we hold too closely to our hearts and we make them bigger issues than they need to be. Where we, I think we should have a bit more of a charitable spirit around those things and say, yeah, it's okay that you believe that thing. I don't believe that, but I think we can still have fellowship. In what sense is holiness God's goal for our lives? We talked in one of the other podcasts not so long ago about this thing called sanctification. What do we mean by that? Well, this is the thing that just keeps popping up in Hebrews, isn't it? It's just it's kind of everywhere, and you can almost say that the whole book is about holiness, that what God wants for your life is both the achievement of holiness in terms of you being declared holy, uh, and we, we had this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about what has God done? He has made you holy, and at the same time, you're being made holy, which was really interesting. And this idea of both what we called, was it positional sanctification? Yes, you, you use a different term to the one I grew up with, which is, and that's fine, I liked it, uh, positional as opposed to definitive sanctification mm. and then progressive sanctification. Yeah, mm. so that our position is that we have been declared holy. We are actually holy and at the same time, we are becoming holy. And so Christians aren't hypocrites in the sense of becoming something that they're not, that we're actually becoming something that we are. And the whole book is just littered with this idea of this is what God wants for you. It's, and it's not you kind of, when we think about the word holy, we think of you know, kind of um, you know, this, this kind of holy man or holy person, you know, kind of out there who, who is separated from everyone and kind of untouched by the world. It's the opposite, though, isn't it? Yes, well, we, we think of uh, holy people as sort of um, like the medieval mystics who used to go out in deserts and climb up on rocks and sit there for 30 days and starve. You yeah. know. Um, but isn't it interesting that in verse 14 you've got holiness linked with relationships there in the striving uh, to be living at peace with everyone, that holiness must be lived out with other people. And this is this really interesting thing that it's not disconnected from people. And when we see God in his holiness, he has to make us holy to do for what purpose? So that we can live with him. Why is it important for us to pursue holiness and to try and become more like Jesus? Because I, personally, I, I think that's if Jesus is the true human being and he is a holy person then if we are becoming like him and becoming holy, then we are also becoming true human beings. Because what sin does 
is it un, it dehumanizes us. It makes us less than we should be or less than we really are. And what God is doing is restoring us to become what we really are, true human beings again. Thinking about the Lord Jesus and the command to live peaceably, um, when I look at the life of the Lord Jesus, I've got to say he very often in the pages of the Gospels didn't leave, live peaceably with people. In fact, he seems to spend a lot of his ministry telling people what he thinks about them. You know, you've got that in, is it Mark chapter 2 or 3, where um, Jesus heals the, the man in the synagogue who's got a paralyzed hand or withered hand. And the, it says the Pharisees went out and plotted with the Herodians. And you've got this moment where these, Jesus is uniting people against himself, knowing what's going to happen, right? That, that He knows that if he does this, he's going to anger a lot of people. Uh, and that's what he does. It, that it's not really a peaceable kind of living that he does. Well, no, and the business of overturning all the tables in the, in the courtyard of the temple too didn't uh, actually, was a fairly moment of, well, we would call it righteous anger, wouldn't we? Yeah, definitely. Mm. So how do we, uh, how do we, we had a, a sermon on this on Sunday from our preacher. How do we then uh, exercise appropriate anger at injustice but still try and live peaceably with folk? Is that possible even? I, I think it is. Uh, and I think one of the big things is that you don't dehumanise other people, that you see that the sin that in other people also exists in your own heart and that you are not above you know, what they're doing. And it's possible that you are doing the very same thing in different ways in your life. So you need to point the finger at yourself in saying, hey, that sin lives in my own heart. How do I help that other person see what they're doing and how it's hurting other people? Mm, that's helpful. Thank you. Verses 15 to 17 of chapter 12. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Okay, why does the writer focus on bitterness and sexual immorality here? Yeah, there are often two, two things that pop up in our own hearts, I think, in terms of undoing a lot of um, God's work in our lives, we might say. So the, the first thing is there, that no root of bitterness. What, is, what does bitterness often do? And you've got the example of Esau here um, in that you have something that I don't have and often that, that causes bitterness in me. I want that. And so it's kind of the, the covetousness of what, what God has given you. Uh, and so it makes me bitter that you have something that I don't have because I deserve that, don't I? I deserve what you have and I'm going to be annoyed and angry that I didn't get it. How is bitterness the end result of legalism or lawlessness? I think when you preached on this, you made this point. Yeah, because it, it, it ultimately it's about pride. I, I have this. I don't have this thing that I deserve, and ultimately that's what kind of legalism kind of does. Is I'm working towards this thing, um, and I deserve to have this thing. It's kind of like this. Um, interesting thing in our hearts that happens is that you have this i deserve that and it's kind of a form of legalism but on the other hand at the same time you also have the the other side to that is the lawlessness that um in the sense of you kind of i can do, i can have or should have whatever i i want and you kind of kind of can gather those things and that that leads to bitterness as well when you don't get those things what in the, what then is legalism and what is lawlessness well, legalism, actually, it's interestingly, 
they kind of the, the, in a sense they're the same thing. Um, they they sound like they're polar opposites, but at the heart of the sin is actually actually the same. So legalism is saying I can if I are, are obedient to the law or, or a law even that my own my own kind of law, then I will receive something. I, I'll I'll achieve it. I deserve it, and, and I'll have it. Uh, lawlessness, what might be called antinomianism which just means against the law, it seems to be the opposite. So it's kind of, it seems like you're running away from the law, but in a sense, it, it has its own legalism around it. It has its own kind of law around it. And so they seem to be running in opposite directions, but they're actually at the heart, the very, the very same thing. You're saying to God, I will achieve what I want to achieve through my own means. One, through obedience to the law, which God doesn't um, necessarily is not necessarily requiring you. And the other one is the exact opposite. I don't want to have a relationship with you, so I will run away in the opposite direction and do what I want to do. But both at the heart are saying, I'm the master of my universe. I'm the one that gets to choose what I do. How do we avoid legalism and lawlessness then? It has to be the gospel. It's the only thing that, that is the antidote for both of them. And so when, when you run towards either of those ends you run away from the gospel. And so when you run towards the gospel, you do the exact opposite. You say, it is not uh, through my own means that I uh, kind of have relationship with God. And also I'm not running away from God and, and trying to be my own master, which is what kind of lawlessness does. Uh, and even though, even on both ends, you're kind of saying, I'll determine, I'll be the one that determines the nature of the relationship with God. What the gospel does is say, God is the one that determines the nature of the relationship, and I will accept it. Mm-hmm. How then is grace the antidote to bitterness? We learn about a lot about grace. We've been talking a lot about grace in the book of Hebrew, or Epistle to the Hebrews. Well, when you think about it, imagine you, you have something that I don't have, and I can be thankful that God has given you that. that, that that's the kind of ultimate form of grace, isn't it? That I can say, wow, that's, a, that's an amazing thing that God has given you. And that's and I'm thankful to God that He has given you that to you and not to me, uh, and that's the ultimate form of, of kind of seeing that lived out. But that's what the gospel does to us. It kind of it, it kind of gets into our hearts and says, "Hey, you don't deserve anything." Uh, and when God gives something to somebody else, you can be thankful that He's given that to them uh, and not to you, and that God God is going to use that thing. For them, but you can also turn to yourself and say, "Hey, what has God given you that you can use for 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 His kind of glory, rather than kind of feeling like you deserve what other people have and don't mm. and don't have?" Yeah, I get you. How can sexual immorality damage us? The passage talks about uh, se- sexual immorality too, doesn't it? Yeah, it's one of those things that that pops up so much in in the Bible, isn't it? That um, and so interestingly, I think the Bible is quite sex positive. Uh, for use a, a more kind of common term, recent term, uh, but the idea that when we stray away from God's good design of sex, what does it lead to? It doesn't lead to good things as human beings. It kind of leads us to live lives. Uh, it, it dehumanizes us because it treats other people uh, as material objects rather than as um, you know kind of actual humans. Uh, and in doing that, when we treat other people like that, it actually debases us as well and dehumanizes us. 
18 to 24. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. It's a fabulous passage, reader. Mm. And the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. Even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So what is the mountain we've come to in verse 22 there? Well, you've got that, uh, I think, You've got that really interesting bit in 18 where it's, you have not come to this mountain, mm. which you, we could quite easily skip over, couldn't we? Mm. So you've got these two mountains kind of uh, being played off against each other. One, it seems to be quite clearly referring to Mount Sinai where the law was given uh, as the people came out of Egypt. Uh, and so, But the mountain that we have come to is Mount Zion, which is the one which was in Jerusalem where the you know, kind of the, is it the temples built there and you've got, you know, kind of this great holy kind of city uh, kind of around it. Uh, so we, we haven't come to one where the law was given, but we've come uh, to this great city where we might say grace is given kind of in this place. Yeah, in what sense is this a city of grace? Well, in that kind of sense, they've been played off against each other, the law and the grace. Uh, but it's a city that you've freely come to. It's a city that... Um, is holy. It's a city where God dwells, kind of ultimately as well. And, and out of the temple, particularly out of the temple, what do we see? We see that that is where forgiveness and grace, the opportunity for those things, are given. Who else does the writer say we've come to there in verses twenty-three and twenty-four? Well, ultimately, we come to Jesus, haven't we? And to God the Father in that. So let me read that again. And to the assembly of the firstborn who who are enrolled in heaven, and to, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. It's kind of God's community coming together you know, in worship of the Father. Mm. How do these verses reiterate the gospel? Well, that's what Jesus is doing. He's bringing a, a group of people, you know, kind of the, the worshippers uh, that, that he has bought with his own blood. Uh, they haven't had to do anything. He is the one that, that's chosen them, bought, brought them in, uh, and he has brought them to, to made them holy so they can do one thing, which is what God's always wanted to do, is to be worshipped. Mm. Verses 25 to 29, we carry on. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Wonderful words. Why are we again given a warning here in these verses? They're, kind of, they're sprinkled through all of Hebrews. And you, you, I think the reason is, again, that these people are thinking about going back uh, to following the law. And it's just a reminder of, if you go back to that, this is what you should expect. You shouldn't expect 
um, kind of deep relationship with the Father. You shouldn't expect salvation. You should actually expect judgment. Why then should we not buy into what our world and culture is selling us? Because it, it will never... They've got a product that will not actually provide what, what is written on the box, right? Um, where the gospel is the opposite. There's nothing, you know, kind of... It looks like this terrible thing, but actually when you open it up, there's something magnificent inside it. All your hopes and dreams, everything that you really should be desiring, not maybe that you necessarily are desiring, but you should be desiring, are contained in it. And the, the further you explore it, the better it is. But the opposite is true with the world around us. The more you... You know, kind of, you you come across an idea or a way of life, and you kind of explore that. And at, at first, it can be exciting, and you kind of think, "Oh, this is a great way to live," and this is going to fulfil all my hopes and dreams. But the, the the further you go into it, the more cynical you become because you just see that it it will not ever bring satisfaction. It will not ever bring any form of fulfilment or contentment. Why should we not refuse the Lord Jesus then? Because if we do, then what, what hope is there? There is no hope, basically, that, that this is what this passage is saying. And that, that doesn't sound particularly, particularly nice, but it, it's the truth, isn't it? That this is, what, this is what the Bible says. There is only one way to the Father, and that is through the Son. Mm. What do verses 28 and 29 exhort us to do near the end there? Well, the, you've got that little... A bit about the shaking before that. Is that I think that's a quote from Haggai. I really like Haggai. It's one of my oh, it's fabulous favorite Old Testament books uh, or Old Testament prophets. Let me read twenty eight there. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. It's kind of don't go back. Don't mm. don't go back to that old way of life. And all of our all of us do it, don't we? We we put our eyes on things. Uh, that we think you're going to actually bring us security, think that we're going to bring us prosperity or salvation, uh, but be grateful that we have a kingdom that will not shake. All of the things around us are built on sand. Is only one thing that is built on, on rock, and that, that is the gospel. In what ways is our God a consuming fire? What does the writer to the Hebrews mean by that phrase when he says God is a consuming fire? And what's his point? Well, it's a, it, I think it's a warning. Mm. You know, and it doesn't sound great, does it? <laughs> you, know, you kind of, you know, when you think of a consuming fire, think I think of bushfires in Australia and things mm -hmm. like that. Just yeah. really, just devastation, and we can't even outrun them. You know, even in, in a car, you just you can't outrun them. But I think the idea of coming into God's presence without His holiness—that is the only hope you have. It is, it is not a good picture that you have. Um, so it's the it's the kind of the negative side of God's holiness means that that sin cannot enter, and when sin does enter, it is consumed. It, it has it has to be burned away because God cannot allow anything like that to be around Him. But we ha you have to look at the opposite as well. That when God um, when we come into God's presence as His holy people, not through anything that we've done, but because Jesus' blood has been uh, shed for us. The opposite is true. He is an eternal father, one who will love us and cherish us forever, just as we will do the same for him. How is God's holiness then? We have this picture of God as a consuming fire, a holy God. His fire will break forth and consume us if we're not covered by the blood of Christ. How is God's holiness then consistent with his grace towards us? Well, it wouldn't be... 
um, gracious would it, if he didn't offer any any chance for us to receive his holiness. Uh, but he does do that. And we think that, oh, maybe that, that, that's unjust, that there are some people who will receive that grace and other people that won't. Actually, I, I think it's unjust that some people do receive that grace because it's God himself that has to take on the punishment and the penalty for sin, which we've seen through Hebrews. Uh, but it's unjust that he had to go through that. And, um, but at the same time, what does he do? He offers that to, to, to his people. And he offers it to his people through the death and resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yep. Mm. It's nothing that we do, is it? You know, it's only what Jesus has done. Mm. So how are we going to sum up this chapter then, Rito, as we come to the end of it? We've got one more chapter of Hebrews to go. Uh, chapter 13. How are we summarizing, summarizing chapter 12 then? I don't know. <laughs> it just, no, I think it's, it's pretty clear, isn't it? That these warnings are quite, are quite important um, in, in this book that do not shirk away from the truth. Keep coming back. Keep knowing uh, and exploring who Jesus is and see that he is the only way to the Father. Uh, and this is what, what this book is really been driving at the whole time. Uh, and if you need to be reconvinced of that, go back to chapter 1 and, re- mm. and start rereading it again because um, there is no other way. There just can't be any other way. And this book just so clearly kind of lays that out for us that Jesus is the only way to the Father and if you try and deviate from that in, in any way all that you can expect is God as a consuming fire rather than a God as a loving gracious God who will love you and accept you mm-hmm. uh, Ian Reid Rido uh, from King's Grace Presbyterian Church in Palmerston North New Zealand thank you once again and uh, next time we'll come on and talk about uh, chapter 13 thank you so much We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.